Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is crystallized thinking, or perhaps it could be thinking about crystals and crystallization. My guest is my good friend, James Tunney. He is the author of The Mystical Accord, Sutras to Suit Our Times, Lines for Spiritual Evolution. Also, The Mystery of the Trapped Light, Mystical Thoughts in the Dark Age of Scientism. Empire of Scientism, the Dispiriting Conspiracy and Inevitable Tyranny of Scientocracy. Tech Bondage, Slavery of the Human Spirit. Human Entrance to Transhumanism, Machine Merger and the End of Humanity, and most recently, Plantation of the Automatons. James lives in Gothenburg, Sweden, and now I'll switch over to the internet video. Welcome, James. Once again, it's a pleasure to be with you. It's great to see your, your liquid crystal face again. <laughs> well, I had an th interesting insight this morning about our topic. Uh, I uh, was originally thinking of calling it crystallization of consciousness. And, and then it occurred to me, consciousness is probably, at least in terms of pure spirit, can never be crystallized. It's infinite in, in a way. What gets crystallized isn't consciousness per se. It's something that rests above consciousness that you could call thinking or mentation. Yeah, I think you, you, you've you've hit the nub of the matter. We don't have to proceed <laughs> beyond that, Jeff. That was very, very astute. Um, that's right. And I think there's a great problem here in that people who are interested in consciousness from a very reductionist, ultra-materialist perspective, they tend to focus on the carrier of consciousness and not the content of consciousness. And uh, in, if you look at people who are very uh, well-informed in both con uh, contexts, like uh, uh, Penrose, he, he, in the end, says that mathematics won't be able to explain consciousness. And that is uh, interesting coming from a person who understands uh, crystals and crystallography and I think is in favor of an, a, a more generalized idea of crystallography, recognizing that it's a pervasive uh, idea. And, and he has worked on, on the minutiae of how consciousness works. But in a lot of cases, what they're, what these people are doing the good ones are identifying the basis in which con are the conditions for consciousness to operate on. And if you look at people like Fed Federico Fagin and others, they seem to be suggesting really that the human physical form operates in a way that makes us receptive to or quantumly receptive. So, uh, mentation, I think that's a very good idea. And uh, as you've described it, and it refers or indicates the fundamental nature of crystals. And I tend to more and more think that we should 
we should change our idea of crystals more away from the noun to the verb uh, to to do the the crystal state and recognize that uh, as you have suggested our thinking process is refers to a context whereby a structure is formed in a diverse element uh, and sometimes we're too crystallized um but uh, the uh, I, I think that's right uh, consciousness uh, is uh, too complex to be reduced to to some element it may be that in future the conception of consciousness is more determined in terms of there's an idea of there's an e8 crystal for example a complex crystal but it could be regarded as a series of interlocking uh, uh, crystalline structures but still there will be something bigger than the individual elements while we do tend to get crystallized you could be crystallized as a parapsychologist or as a Marxist or as a Catholic uh, or as a patriot. Uh, at the same time, there's always the potential for consciousness, pure consciousness, to break through the, the crystallization. Yes, that, that's very well put. And people like Stendhal and that and the German writer wrote about crystallization, the psychology of crystallization in relation to, to love, for example. He uses the process of salt crystallization to uh, explain psychologically how he worked. Now, uh, as a result of, uh, of this and my study of crystals, I've come to an idea that is a very basic dichotomy in a lot of human thinking. And this is, is related to what you said, and it comes down to a situation where people form a worldview which is essentially crystalline. And as a result of that, they see the human as a, a being effectively in a crystal state. And they believe that there's associated political views associated with the state they live in. And some of these also want to create a world state. So the state also, when we, when we think of that, has a number of, uh, of different connotations. And so that focuses on form and structure, and crystals are defined in essence by their, by their lattice structure, by the, um, if we take a, a chessboard, for example, the, a simple lattice structure uh, ref indicates the orderliness and arrangement of, of, of the, of the in internal structure of, of crystals. And th there seems to be a desire from certain people to extrapolate from that orderliness to the imposition of an orderliness on society and an arrangement on society. And on the other side, there are people who believe, who, who, who prioritize and privilege consciousness and realize that consciousness is above the crystalline form, that the content of consciousness is something different. And I would argue that this uh, this is more in accord with my uh, and other many other people's ideas of consciousness as light. So there's an intense and, and very close nexus between crystalline structure and light. Uh, on, on the LCD screens, the, we have the light and the liquid crystals. Uh, the internal structure of crystals was really made available through the technology of x-rays. So x-rays enabled, uh, its application of the x-rays to crystals enabled 
people like Max von Leue and the, the Bragg family and all the others, Bernal and all the other great crystallographers, to look inside and to understand through the dis- diffraction pattern uh, of, of atoms and, and molecules uh, how the internal structure was. And that, that was the important technology. So we have the connection between light and crystals. Uh, and in spiritual terms, we could look at Jacob Burma, who 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 talked really in terms of spiritual alchemy and uh, he he has a kind of salt in the middle of of mercury and sulfur now salt of course is a crystal if we go back to jesus in the bible in matthew he jesus says ye are the salt of the earth and then he proceeds he says also that but you can lose your saltiness and then he proceeds to say that uh, you should shine your light and not hide your light under a bushel. So the salt is the form, and it's an aspect and an important aspect of our form, but it's the light is the primary influence. And I, I would equate that light with consciousness. So we mustn't confuse the, in, the, the, the macro world of consciousness with its micro-manifestations, and we mustn't confuse the content with the carrier, and that's that's where the real nub of the matter. Uh, a lot of people that believe that they can control consciousness believe that it's merely a matter of a rearrangement of the human mind and the human physiology so that they become less unpredictable, and in that way, of course, we'd lose free will. There is a sense, if you take a prism, for example, which is a crystalline form, and you shine light through it, then the light can can radiate into different colors. White light becomes a whole rainbow of, of colors. So the relationship between the light of consciousness and the crystallization of form is very important. Uh, yes, but uh, these the the we get uh, similar effects whether um, we use glass or, or or crystals and some of the things depending on the planes that are available but if you even look at there's a difference of emphasis between newton and goethe in relation to how light behaved and goethe uh, criticized uh, newton in relation to not not so much the fundamental insights that Newton had, but about the nature and the conduct of experiments, about how Newton did the experiments. And Goethe realized that that wasn't the full story, that uh, in fact, uh, he noticed in daylight and in ordinary context, uh, uh, looking, uh, looking through certain glasses, that the uh, color appears between darkness and light. And this is an important thing that people forget. If we come along with a Newtonian idea, we can fail to see some of the deeper insights that come about from a, from a different perspective. And uh, associated with the idea of crystals is a fundamental idea that crystals en- enable us to access uh, different dimensions. There's a, there's a fundamental aspect of, of dimension dimensionality about that. So crystals are on the cusp or between diff- different worlds. That's why they were, they're, they're used in communication devices, they're used in uh, quartz, is used in computers and, and, and communication devices. And I remember you talking in one of your talks 
uh, about, I, I think it might have been Mr. Simmons when he talked about crystals, about your crystal radio. And a lot of people don't realize that you can make a radio uh, with crystals uh, uh, without batteries. Uh, sometimes they use foxhole radios that were, they were used during the, the war. But that's the same process again. The crystal enables us to access a different world. Now, if we uh, one uh, little point on this, crystals have been used in the ancient world, and people knew this. They knew some of these elements. They, uh, they well, well, if we take uh, the mythic and legendary places like Atlantis, people like Casey said that crystals were the important technology that were used there according to his uh, visions. Um, but we see that, uh, we'll take the Irish example, in all the ancient sites there is quartz is, is found and there's various theories about why the quartz is there and there are various theories that suggest they may be used for their electrical, they may have been used for their electrical effects. And one of the words, there's a number of words for the quartz in the Irish language uh, there may be cluck cluck is, is, is the, a word for the stone so there may be cluck gala or or, or uh, green cluck associated with the sun uh, sunstone or there may be cluck ushla which means the noble stone and that word ushla the same word was used in relation to the fairies and they're found in the sites associated with the fairies. So this is, again, about uh, the other dimensionality associated uh, with crystals. And that trend went right up from, uh, from, from the various writings in the, in the Greeks, through alchemy, through the quest for the philosopher's stone, to people like on the cusp of modern science, like John Dee, who used crystals to communicate with angels, and who used crystals as a, a a showstone, for example, a communication with with uh, other other worlds. So uh, it, it it's funny that crystals are very structured in one form, but if we begin to think of crystallization, we can see that it's also about transformation, about mutability, and about creating links with different dimensions. So I suggest sometimes, well, more recently, I'm, I'm thinking that. Our idea of crystals and the, in the new age shop is a, is a kind of is a kind of very reductive view as well of crystal structure and crystal state, and we have to think of it as a series of mutable and uh, transformative possibilities. In especially when we're talking about liquid crystals and time crystals and other ideas of plasmodic crystals and photonic crystals associated with reflection of light, for example, in a peacock's. Uh, peacock's tail. I'm reminded of uh, the biblical story of, uh, I believe, if I recall correctly, Lot's wife. During the uh, destruction of Sodom and, and Gomorrah, she turned and looked back and was turned into a pillar of salt. That came into my head, funny enough, uh, today. I was thinking about that. And it, it, it's, it's funny. And now again, uh, without uh, without relying on this uh, very unduly literalistic uh, reading of the context, because that's pe people like Swedenborg and that say you have to look at these on different levels. But it is interesting that the perception of the divine punishment was uh, turning into a pillar of salt. And that, uh, that for me, and another view, 
um, well, we could take another view because if you look at some of the the feminist readings of that, they they're sympathetic towards Lot and say, well, this is curiosity and this ties in with the the prodigal son example and uh, why wh- why would that be punished so much just for for looking back and and that's that's perfectly understandable when we're talking about the Old Testament context. But on another view, on a different level, uh, here there is an example independently of the story, of the idea that the divine punishment represents a reduction to purely crystalline form without anything else. So in that context, you might argue that the light was taken out of the uh, of the body, the animating force, the animating consciousness. So the pillar of salt represents, in some ways, this uh, the deadliness of only relying on the, the structure and the form without the content. There, there could be that reading in relation to there is crystals were critical in Judaism early on they seem to have been and stones were were very important and under the the stone element is very important in, in, in graves and, and and small stones and but also precious stones and also in conceptions of of paradise uh, and all and, and the stones that are chosen to be important tend to have a connection with technology. So, for example, rubies, which were always regarded as important esoterically, become the basis of laser technology. And there are some people that believe that some of the stories in the Bible represented, uh, associated with the Ark of the Covenant and other things, represented uh, or indicate knowledge of the application of higher level technologies uh, using crystals. So there is this idea of ancient technology. Uh, But yeah, I, I think... In some ways, that Lot's wife, although I, I'm not going to use it in, in that context, uh, would represent the the idea of merely focusing on form and not focusing on on, on the content. Well, certainly there is this notion, and, and, and perhaps Bernal, who was a crystallographer, is uh, the archetypal example of it, that uh, the perfection of the human body or the human being is is to become crystallized in, into some sort of a, a immovable stable unchanging form uh, that's right and and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned him because he, he really is a critical scientist of the of the 20th century and he's critical uh, he's critical in relation to crystallography and you have interviewed Crick, and Crick would have had had communicate or closely worked with Bernal, so that puts you close to uh, to, to, to these people. Um, Bernal uh, fit in with that with those uh, great crystallographers, the Braggs and Ashbury, and the, there was a kind of triangle of, of concentration uh, on on crystals from London. To Cambridge and later to, uh, or, or, and presently to Oxford, they have the Diamond Light uh, Lab there, which which is, is it seems to be quite spectacular. Um, but Bernal, uh, of course, we've talked about him before, who wrote the World, the Flesh, and the, the Devil, as well as working on the structure of water. And we've talked to your nephew, who's who who was working on on, on the or, or telling us about the. Uh, the structure of water and the incredible complexity of, of, of water. Well, Bernal worked on that. He also worked on uh, graphite 
And graphite, of course, continues to be a critical technology in its more recent manifestations in graphene. And graphene is one of the main candidates for the great technology in relation to brain-computer interface. So Bernal was also working on basically the, the essence of life. And he was there in the center of the group of people out of which uh, the DNA uh, uh, helix structure came. There was also uh, uh, Rosalind uh, Franklin and Ashbury had worked on that as well. Uh, and another thing that people forget about is we've talked about crystals and plants are very much connected. And a lot of the advances in relation to crystals are associated with investigations in relation to plants. So one of the things they were investigating was the tobacco, the structure of the tobacco mosaic virus. And this was something that the botanists had studied in the 19th century. Now, it's, it's, you don't have to be genius to work out why, because tobacco is a valuable product associated with colonialism and uh, a, a, any virus that affected that uh, had consequences and and that was why they investigated it and later on in in the 1930s they they came up with the structure of this virus but the word virus and virology comes from that plant context it doesn't come from from the human context the use of virus as we understand it come from that plant context so virology as well came into this study of of crystallography and when they as well as that we have to mention uh, schrodinger and his his lectures in dublin 1942 1943 uh, which uh, led to or or which was published as what is life and in that he anticipated uh, the dna by identifying the possibility that it was a, an aperiodic crystal uh, so life itself was seen to be by some uh, a crystal objective. Now, Bernal, as we said before, was a Stalinist. Uh, despite uh, his great crystallography, he was a Stalinist. And he wrote, he said, of course, that in his book, The World of Flesh and the Devil, that scientific corporations would take over the world by stealth, that humans would transform into mechanical uh, beings, into silicon beings. Uh, people that didn't want to do that would live in, in the human zoo that the elite class of scientists would prepare for space exploration where they could escape and uh, they could escape the zoo that they had uh, created. It's, it's, it's a terrible vision that's, that that's, he doesn't get criticized sufficiently for. And it's very, very interesting that this ultra-materialist perspective associated with certain crystallographers, uh, I'm not saying it's inevitable, but his, his assistant, Dorothy Crowfoot or Dorothy Hodgkin, was also another communist. She had, she, uh, she was against uh, nuclear, or she was in favor of nuclear disarmament. So she, 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 we can't put them all in the same category. Uh, but she, she was a communist, and there was a, there was a great uh, in, uh, interaction between Moscow, uh, China, uh, and London, uh, and there was visits from the Ru Russian Bukharin, and and that came to with a scientific delegation. So, 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 so there was a, a political uh, influence on that. And, and Bernal wrote a glowing, a glowing tribute to Stalin when he died in 1953, lauding him as a great scientist, uh, which, is, which, is, which is incredible. But also, 
the people that are interested in crystallography in Britain, they also lauded Elena Ceausescu uh, as a great crystallographer, although uh, there's, that, that's very suspect. Um, interestingly, one of students of Dorothy, uh, Dorothy uh, Hodgkin was Margaret Thatcher, who worked on a particular crystal. So it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that you're going to be left-wing, but they, there is a, a similarity uh, whether from the left or the right, a, an extrapolation perhaps about about society and how society uh, can be represented in a, in a crystalline form, which is would be my critique of Teilhard de Chardin. He he, I think, fits into the crystalline structure. But Bernal uh, Bernal had this. He is the essence of this transhumanist uh, transhumanist perspective. Uh, he is the essence of the representation of human life as essentially crystalline, which means that we should become more crystalline, more crystallized, and consciousness should be crystallized in structures, uh, removing the predictability. So it's a very deep and, and dark uh, possibilities in one stream associated with this worldview, which when it becomes too deep. And the last point, Jeff, his... Of course, Bernal, uh, Crick and Watson go, or Watson works Cold Spring Harbor. They continue, they continue to work on this, uh, what is life and, and, and virology. Uh, and, uh, it leads to a situation, I think, that we talked about before in relation to the executive, uh, the executive order, um, about this, this fusion of information and, uh, and biology. Uh, that that's where it leads to the programmable individual, and and that stream is is very strong and one that I obviously don't support. Well, it, in a sense, it seems to me that it boils down to a, a feeling that the universe is basically chemical in nature, that everything is molecular, and and pretty much all molecules have a crystalline structure. So if, if that's your worldview, then naturally you know, things that seem to transcend the, the, the molecular crystallization of reality, things, for example, like quantum leaps, uh, might seem threatening. Yes, and it's interesting. That, that That's interesting to use the word quantum leap because leap in a number of languages is saltar or saltambanco and acrobat is salt. So, so the, there's a connection apparently between uh, the word uh, salt, uh, crystalline and leap. Now, why that is, is another area of investigation. But uh, there's, no, there's no question about that. And I think certainly... The again, Federico Fagin and people that allow for that access to the to the the quantum realm uh, are, are very aware and and for him through his mystical experience of the the limitations of the of the mathematical uh, reductive method, and the dangerous ones are the ones who have an unduly left brain mentality. To use Ian McGilchrist's uh, analogy, this is where it comes into play because in accordance with how he has analyzed the dangers of the left brain the left brain becomes blind to realities that it can't perceive and there's a great love of structure and predictability and out of that 
there, there, there becomes this, uh, this, this kind of fear of unpredictability. And there's a, a great desire to extend, uh, to extend predictability through, through crystallization, through making everything into a structure. And of course, the origin of uh, the word crystal is associated with ice and frost in the Greek. It's also the prefix in the word cryog uh, cryogenics in relation to the, the freezing of the body, although they can't, of course, freeze the body internally. They have to replace it with a liquid because if they did, they would destroy it because you can't have crystals in the body. Frostbite. When people say, oh, I love crystals... <laughs> In, in the old way that I would uh, criticize people to, people say, I love crystals. You can ask them whether they like frostbite, which is based on crystallization in, in, in the, uh, of liquids in, in the extremities, or kidney stones or bladder stones, because they're, they're crystallization processes as well. So again, there's, there's a whole range of, of processes, a whole range of context. But where we, reduce our worldview to a process to a mechanical process a chemical process and of course with schrodinger they were bringing physics and 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 chemistry and biology uh, together but if it comes together out of a very restricted worldview well then it's going to be dangerous and when we look at another interesting thing about all these a lot of the main crystallographers they didn't, they didn't start out and say, I'm going to investigate the tobacco mosaic virus. They didn't start out and say, I'm going to investigate graphite. They investigated them. In a lot of cases, if you look at the, their, their biographies, they were given a thing to do. Either the, their supervisor said, I want you to investigate this, or there was a list of topics that were recommended to them because these, these areas were what interested, in particular, the imperial class, the imperial ruling class, they knew that these technologies were critical. They knew for some reason that, that graphite wa was important and graphite becomes uh, the basis of, of, of graphene. They knew that the, these things, and some of the reason why they knew these things were important was because these things had always been important. They'd always been important in esoteric terms. If John Dee could be interested in crystals, because of their ability to communicate with, with other beings. There must be something in it. And another, another example I would use uh, of this uh, deadly crystalline approach is, uh, although they're, they're very in, in intelligent and bright people, so I'm, I'm not ridiculing the, the, their intellectual capabilities. Uh, I'm, I'm saying they're blinded in, so, in some way. But H.G. Uh, uh, Wells wrote Anticipations, a book in 1901, which is a, a despicable book. It's one of his worst books. It, it could have been written by a Nazi. It was really, he, t he talks about this idea of, of what is essentially a superman who is really without compassion that will destroy and kill people. It's, it's a nasty book. Uh, and three years before that, he wrote The Crystal Egg in 1897. And The Crystal Egg, interestingly, was about a man in, in London who finds an egg that enables him, a crystal egg, that enables him to communicate with Mars or to see what's happening on Mars. And this is interesting because this is how the technology was used. But that fits into John Dee, who had a crystal egg as well. So there's a continuity between the magic, the esoteric, the secret, uh, the hermetic even, the alchemical, and 
the the scientific interest. So in, in it as well is an element of sorcery. So there is a current of sorcery that comes that comes into it. And and the last point, if we think that it's not relevant to the governance of modern countries, I think with the coronation of Prince Charles that he will be uh, enthroned on top of the stone of destiny, which is an ancient stone. Uh, there's, there's other stories about that we could talk about for, for, for ages. But it shows the link again between stones, of course, or crystals are a form of stones, uh, and power. And oh, I'm not saying about sorcery in relation to, to, to King Charles, sorry. Uh, but there, there is this link. Remember that sorcerers are always employed by the powerful. People get that wrong. In, in history, the sorcerers were employed by the people that are powerful, and it's the powerful who are interested in, in, in sorcery. And there is this sorceress element, and that's a word that has been used by scientists in, uh, as a critique of other scientists, where they focus on the power which is, which is unleashed instead of the uh, using science for the, for the good of, of, of people and, the, and the, the world. When I was an undergraduate studying psychology, I read the work of uh, Professor Frank Barron, and later I, I met him. He was a student of creativity and uh, the relationship between creativity and personality. And he had some simple tests. He'd ask people to, to create a little drawing, uh, something that you like. And he found that the least creative people would make drawings that were geometric, that were crystalline, and that the most creative people, uh, he had what he called tolerance of ambiguity. The drawings they made were very vague, cloud-like and amorphous. And that ability to appreciate ambiguity, things that are not crystallized, seemed to be in his work, the essential distinction between a, a creative person and one who was not. Well, that's a that's a beautiful uh, a, a beautiful uh, point in relation to the, uh, and it puts its finger on on an essential point, and I see that in relation to to art and how people look at pictures because uh, people that are not very creative want paintings to be kind of photographic and fixed so they can recognize it and they can control control in their head what it is and they prize reproduction of pho photographic reproduction for example they don't like things which are are amorphous and and in crystals if you look at the the, the origin of liquid crystals and that's very very interesting because again it came from a plant source uh Reinit friedrich reinitzer in 1888 discovered discovered um these liquid crystals they were known about but they so that they were identified as uh, um Flussige Kristall, I think, in, in the German. And so, so what, what is very interesting to tie back on, on, on what we talked about last week in the Simpsons, the movie that when they're putting the glass dome on, on, on Springfield. Uh, now again, this is another manifestation in the direction of the Crystal Palace. The, they're putting the, the dome. And I think it's Mo, who's the bar owner. Uh, is there with a crowd of people who are obviously a bit surprised and a bit unhappy about this glass dome being suddenly put on their town. And there's a, there's a projection of the former head of the Environmental Protection Agency, uh, and he appears so they can communicate 
like we're communicating now. And Mo says uh, to this uh, projection, he says, what do you mean that we're going to be trapped in this place like rats? And uh, the former head of the Environmental Protection Agency says, no, not like rats. Rats are easy to trap, uh, more like carrots. And I, I couldn't figure out why he chose carrots. Uh, and interestingly, liquid crystals were discovered in the investigation of different boiling points in carrots. Uh, so it's it's a funny connection. I wonder whether there's a reference to that. But when they were this, when they discovered these liquid crystals, what happens is when they boil at different temperatures, the form changes. So you can get beautiful colors. And one woman, there was a lot of uh, famous and and, and brilliant. Uh, f- women crystallographers they they led the way in many senses and in holland there was a uh, there was two individuals who had some sort of relationship um one one was a communist called goethe who was very who was very significant in the spread of of marxist thinking and he had a relationship with either prince who who studied uh, crystals and she was very interested in liquid crystals because of the beautiful colors in it. So in that phase, you get a different, a different, less structure. The structure changes into something, di- something which is different and something which is more beautiful. And this aesthetic attraction is, is written in, in some way, in my view, into the universe that we have an intuitive attraction to these things that are significant. So people always understood that there was something important in opal or or, or uh, any of the other uh, important gemstones, in particular because of, of photonic crystals, that the way they catch the light, the light reveals what's in a crystal and attracts people to that, and then they become interested uh, in the other uses. So with with liquid crystals, again, there's a, there's a similar attraction and and. and um there's a there's a crossover uh between art and, and crystallography the, uh, it seems to have influenced cubism uh, and and there's a there's a kind of crystal cubism uh form if you like and uh, and uh, if, if you'd be looking more at expressionism or impressionism perhaps to look at, at later on for the for that uh, amorphous feeling in, in art but uh the beauty of them uh, is is written there's a path as we've talked about before in a way there's clues that you follow and once you follow and, and focus on the thing you will come to a solution so in both senses the spiritual tradition and the scientific tradition focus on similar things but they come up with different results and it's the in-between it's the marriage of the two that we need and this is what Burma was talking about getting the thing between and this is what this salt or crystallization the alchemist sought is about getting something out which reconciles so we can't have one or the other because one will seek to triumph over the other so there, that, that, that's that's right and that's when the crystal is in its its classic mineral form at room temperature or whatever that we get this rigidity this structure this mathematical beauty that appeals to people because it's it's predictable using all the uh, all the scales the mo scale for hardness the uh, the Beauvais lattice uh, system and the work done by miller the miller index uh, from 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 1839 when when they began to classify these uh, these structures 
They become uh, predictable. And for mathematicians, they can predict what's going to happen. But the liquid crystal phase is is, is different and, and it accords more with that creativity. But I, I agree with you. I think that insight is important. And, and there is something deep in that, in that uh, separate left brain, right brain. My wife, Janelle, who, amongst other things, is a specialist in stress management, used little liquid crystals called biodots, and she'd give them out in her, her stress management seminars. You just put it right on your skin, and as your temperature changes, the biodot changes color. So it's, it's a measure of when people get stressed out their temperature will change and by looking at the bio dot you you gives you some feedback about you know what's going on inside your own body it can be a very useful thing and you mentioned that your children have these mood rings which are uh, similar yes yeah so so the mood rings have the have the uh the liquid crystal as well and uh, I think myelin and the, and the nerve coatings in, in, in the, the body uh, is liquid crystal and form. So the body uses uh, liquid crystals. And the, the, the presence of crystals, liquid crystals uh, and other crystals in the bodies are critical. And they're critical not least in some of the domains, in, in your domain, in, in parapsychology, um, because scientists uh, have been looking at uh, although they, although they, it's, it's a bit funny because all the scientists say, a lot of the scientists say, oh, well, this crystal healing and all this, there's no evidence. Although they, they, they don't say that they, they haven't gone looking for the evidence. And all the while they're actually studying crystallography all the time. There's, 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 uh, loads of crystallographers have, have received the Nobel Prize. So they know about the power, the, the power of crystals. But, uh, then we have to consider that in the body, there are, there's magnetite in the brain, uh, which is magnetic, and there's also calcite crystals, and these uh, occur in 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 places that spiritual people knew are important in the pineal gland. There's and they're discovering microcrystals, more microcrystals there, and in the brain, and they're associated. Another thing, another connection in relation to crystals is they've always been associated not only with dimensionality but with directionality with orientation so the vikings apparently used sunstone in relation to uh finding direction when when it was cloudy to find their way because it was associated with a deep polarized light they could use that technology and funny enough the origin of the word clock it's it's kind of disputed but one of the possible origins goes back to columba and in that context, I wonder whether they, the, the origin is not associated with the Latin for bell, but it goes, it goes back to the idea of a stone, because the word for, the word for a stone uh, and uh, uh, in Irish and, and clock are, are, are very similar. And I think they did use, the, there was a lot of use of sunstone, and that would have been calcites or, or, or quartz, uh, uh, in, in, in the context of their, their traveling. But uh, there is a lot of evidence that uh, humans and animals, of, animals, of course, uh, have a strong sense, uh, a magnetoreception, a strong sense of where things are and how to orientate. And there's, there, there have been, as far as I understand, uh, you know better than I, studies in Russia and I think in China, which which focuses on this magnetic aspect in relation to psychic forces 
and that that may also play into the the microtubule context that Hameroff and Penrose uh, uh, talked about in relation to the, to the quantum context. So we know that these there are crystals uh, in the brain, but unfortunately, the people who are who are part of the the security, industrial, military, pharmaceutical context know that as well. And the fruition of a lot of that stream going back to Bernal and that is the evolution of a lot of uh, crystals, liquid crystals and carbon nanotubes that can be inserted in the human body. And increasingly, I'm thinking that Elon Musk's talking about drilling a hole in your head and all this is a bit of a distraction from the reality of the future of brain-computer interfaces because really the, the future will be liquid crystal. It will be the insertion of nanotechnology into the brain uh, and graphene is ideal for this because it's biocompatible. It can link with with neurons and, and uh, so really that's the future of, of transhumanism. Uh, it's from this crystal technology. So we better begin to inform ourselves a bit more about the science and about the, the work that's been done by scientists, uh, as well as, as using the, the, the crystals for, 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 for healing. Um, uh, but yes, liquid crystals, mood and all that, it, it makes sense be, because they are, they are revealing that the, 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 the uh, crystals with light uh, re reveal something about life. There's a nexus between crystals, light, uh, and life, and that will continue to to work out. And I, I believe that crystals, crystallography, uh, and liquid crystals in particular, really will determine the future of the human race. I, I, I've no doubt about that. It is the critical uh, technology, and there is a in science. Uh, there are various scientists who have advocated a generalized crystallography. It goes across all the scientific uh, endeavors. Uh, it was where we could we can see it in in uh, going back to Theophrastus writing on stones at the time of Aristotle, uh, right through to Plato and his uh, his structures, and uh, also I suppose in the Pythagorean context, going up through art, uh, endurer in, in in his melancholia a picture of 1514 you see this obsession with particular st uh, structures or in uh, there's a famous painting of luca pacchioli the mathematician and we see a polyhedron figure there this was in art another thing that scientists do is they as well as de denying the influence of religion they deny the influence of art in relation to the evolution of scientific theory. And they also denied the influence of emotion. So this intersection as well, the mood rings they've talked about, and Janelle's use of that, uh, is a reflection of the our emotional reaction, our emotional attraction, our aesthetic attraction, our interaction with these substances. And, and that emotion uh, is important. And there's the last point, the coldness of crystals, or the perceived coldness of crystals, it reflects that view that you talked about, the uncreative view, the structured cold. We often talk about person being cold or hard, and the mood, the reflective, the bright colors, the the tau, the the the, the changing colorful tau, and, and your symbol uh, reflects a wider emotional palette. I think. 
Well, you have in Buddhism the idea of the Diamond Sutra, the pure, focused mind. Uh, of course, I think the, the, the Diamond Sutra means a, a focus on the infinite, a focus on things you can't focus on. Uh, there's, a, there's a paradox there. Uh, but diamonds, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this, but as I understand it, diamonds are uh, really compressed carbon. Yes. And they're the same as as the the graphite used in pencils. Uh, so it's a different state or a different uh, the, the the structure becomes in a, in a different state. So they're soft in that form. They can flow over another. And then the then the the graphene is like a uh, it's like well, this is a candle here and the hexagonal structure of the of the candle. Graphene is a hexagonal structure, one atom thick. So it's a very thin, two-dimensional representation that that grew out of that uh, graphite and and the work that people like Bernal did when they were searching for ways to control us <laughs> effectively. Um, so yes, and that's the interesting thing. There there is in it some something. There is in the study of crystallography something about the remarkable ability to transform and i think there's a deeper there's a deeper message and uh, uh, in the bible i think the the most neglected uh, study uh, or the thing that hasn't been explained sufficiently is one of the apparitions of jesus after the uh, crucifixion where he appeared i think to the two men on the road to emmaus and it says that jesus appeared to them and in another form so this is a remarkable phrase and i've talked to to communicate with scholars about this and i looked at and and they say well this was added on afterwards this part of of the the gospel uh, mark uh and uh the 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 latter part of mark 16 12 i think so jesus appeared in another form and i looked at the different translations of it and you can't get away from it the question is what was the other form that Jesus appeared in? That he was recognizable, but he was in a different form. And it's it's kind of neglected in relation to, uh, again, a crystallized view, which says, oh, no, uh, Jesus appeared exactly as he was. And with resurrection means physical resurrection. And, and I've never really I've never really accepted that. I, I, I don't think that that's what resurrection is about. I think it, 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 for, for me. But uh, people would have to explain to me what that means in in another form. What was the form? There is something which is explaining to us as well about the mutability, the mutability of of, of life, of form, of, of of context. And but at the same time, I think in the idea that ye are the salt of the earth, but you can lose your saltiness. There's a warning that uh, we are in this form that we are in. Uh, if we become if we become the sorcerer who wants to make themselves into gods, ignoring with hubris the great context which gets us here, well then we will we will we will lose the embodied quantum possibilities. Uh, and and you, you, one of your guests has talked about uh, quantum embodiment and that. I think there is. There is the quantum element, but there's also the importance of our incarnation and our embodiment, as, as we've talked we've talked about before. Well, all life on Earth is embodied in carbon forms, and at the same time, we are 
designing new kinds of thinking machines based on silicon and the whole transhumanist movement is one that is suggesting we will eventually uh, import our consciousness into a silicon form which has greater durability and is superior to the carbon form. Yes, this is Bernal's idea that we become transformed into silicon, excuse me, and this is also the idea of the solid state entity that John C. Lilly that you've talked to, uh, he, he believed that this solid state entity would be made of silicon and nickel and iron, that that's what was happening. Where And I think that's correct, that consciousness has been transformed into a technosphere, uh, in, into a, a technical context. And as you were saying that, you, you were making me... You're making me a bit apprehensive about his present preoccupation with carbon and carbon taxes and, and uh, environmental. You're making me think about uh, the uh, one could see a possible link. I'm not going to spell that out, but uh, a possible link between this preference for silicon and the, uh, the argument that this is universal. Uh, th there are many theorists or not. There are a number of theorists who believe that the destiny of the world is to transform us into this material context. And then the humans, as they would notionally exist, would be some form of pattern of information. But of course, they would be a pattern of information integrated into a wider system. And in this, there's one point I think to, to, to mention. If we go back to William Blake, William Blake didn't really agree with some of his radical friends about what they were arguing for. And I think he was kind of ahead of his time. He saw that this, some of the argument for equality was, was an argument for similarity, not equality. It wasn't about equality of treatment. It was an argument that things should be made the same. It was essentially an argument for standardization. So he emphasized uh, commonality, but he emphasized the critical importance of difference. And that was a that was a thing that he saw before most people have seen, even today. And Kepler, of course, studied uh, studied uh, ice and, and snowflakes, and he studied form. And of course he identified the great diversity despite the, the, the six sided uh, structure of, of the snowflake, they're all different. So, I mean, that's another interesting uh, element. Uh, so the study of ice and structure um, and the way that they, people saw ice behaving led to a view that, uh, a very strong view, it's manifest in people like Heckel, that uh, life was crystalline. It came from crystals and the crystals were alive. So when they're nucleated, they grow and they saw they saw life in that. And I mean, here... Uh, the ice uh, sings in many senses, and people would have thought that that was literally uh, singing at one at one stage uh, or, or or other. So um, the 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 connection with the essential connection and this argument over the nature of life is is critical because according to the description of life given by Schrödinger and that. Um, the same features could be found in crystal behavior, in, you know, in relation to hereditary nature and in relation to uh, emergence in particular, and that idea of 
emergence and the idea that well actually in in relation to uh, crystals something emerges from from something else it's growing and therefore it's lifelike so there, there it comes down to that same thing that structure thing that enables enables people or, or means that people don't see what life is they don't see that that joyous creative unpredictable right brain spiritual spiritual consciousness imaginative imaginal uh, element of it and particularly if they don't have that if they're in their neuroplastic kind of context doesn't enable them to see that but what we don't want is the superimposition on our consciousness of a limited uh, a limited mechanistic ultra materialist imperial scientistic uh, commercial corporatist viewpoint which acts to crystallize our consciousness because this is what the objective is the objective from this trend is to apply the technology like the light to, and this is what harari is talking about it's like shining the light into the uh, the crystal it's now we can see in your personality and we can see oh this is jeffrey and here we found him he was only an illusion anyway he's only this aspect this configuration this pattern that we found him here on the chart look that's who jeffrey was you know and of course we don't we, we don't believe in uh, in that and, and your work in, in parapsychology uh, is, is a vindication of, of, of the essentially incomprehensibility of the totality of consciousness as people as good scientists or, or, or adept scientists like uh penrose for, for, for example argues or, or seems to have argued recently i have heard some people suggest and as you speak it seems appropriate that this crystallization of consciousness began with plato who who was uh, obviously emphasized the platonic solids which were all crystals that was the basis of his whole theory of uh, the realm of forms and people have suggested that prior to plato philosophy was really much more theurgic it, it had a magical element to it it had a a sense of mystery and the play what plato and aristotle did to philosophy was was make it rational and that was the beginning of uh the downfall of human consciousness um I, I I remember, uh, and, and you've explored some of these ideas in the roots of consciousness and that continuity in, in your, your 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 investigation from those times. And, and uh, that's certainly that's right. And there are there are many people that argue, you know, Aristotle, Plato, uh, different emphasis. Um, the I, I think there is an innate feature in the human mind that appears in all cultures. We could take. For example, Islam and Islam was very interesting in that if you look at its art and architecture and in particular because it didn't represent a human form, there's a very strong attraction and particularly an Ottoman art to essentially crystalline structure and quasi crystals and Penrose has looked at that as well. But there's even a, uh, there's even a deeper element, and um, we've talked about a, a different emphasis in Islam. For example, I noticed in a lot of the new mosques in uh, in Dubai and in uh, Indonesia when I was there, and particularly I, I suppose it would have been Saudi funded mosques. 
that are very, very crystalline in totality, that they feel, feel like you're in a crystal. And I mean, they're absolutely beautiful, but they're very, 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 very formed crystalline. Uh, and uh, Islamic art is beautiful, but that would be a different emphasis, I think, from the Sufi emphasis and the Sufi idea and extrapolation from uh, from crystals and precious stones. And in particular, some of the elements I see might have come up in Korban or the, uh, in Surawardi uh, in the idea of illuminationism. Uh, points to the the green man figure this this uh, th- this green figure is a, is an important aspect but it's it's an important aspect on the mystical level it's an important aspect in the mystical domain and the the idea of whether it's in plato or in, in a lot of the explorations of uh, astrology uh, or in the medieval renaissance hierarchy was of a, an earthly reflection of a, of, of a heavenly system so that and we can see this in William Butler Yeats essay on magic where what he says was that you use symbols to get access to the great memory and that that's what the link is so the it's like the Akashic field so the symbols are the key into this so a lot of these things are symbols of the form represents something else. The containers are conduits for something else. And the ultimate thing, nearly in, in all the spiritual traditions, is light. And light has that um, informless, uh, uh, unformed uh, element to it associated with the photonic structure, which is only reflected in, say, photonic crystals, for example. It's only pointing us to something else. It's why the, the cathedrals, the medieval cathedrals focused on the movement of light through the through the stained glass windows, which often had nanoparticles of gold in them, for example, to influence, to represent our connection uh, uh, to, to light. So the, the there is a it, it's that deeper crystalline view that can become a manifestation in life. It's it, it, it's a division, a dichotomy that runs through all the religions there is this crystalline tendency and there is this opposite tendency which is a, a light tendency so we so it creates actually divisions in my view even within christianity the, the division there would be between say Teilhard de chardin and bernard uh, charbonneau and jacques Ellul, who were critics of technology uh, and they uh, charbonneau wrote a book i don't know if it's available in english but he wrote a book in 1963 and he said that the, the, the title of the book translated is something like um, Teilhard de Chardin, a prophet of totalitarianism. So they saw in, and I'm not saying these totalitarianism in, in the sense that, that they had seen at the Nazis, but they saw in this viewpoint of this integrate, integration of consciousness as a structural affair, as an attack on the embodiment, the incarnation of the human in their individual and different form, which is consistent with Blake. So we do have a real, again, Newton, Blake, we do have a real division. And again, Swedenborg is another example in his own life, because, of course, Swedenborg was in charge of the mines in Sweden. Sweden itself has been a great leader in relation to 
uh, elements. There's something like 20 elements on, on the periodic table were discovered in, in Sweden. And, and the elementary structure, the categorization, I think Berzelius uh, contribute or, or, or develop that. They're very, very interested in minerals. It's some of one of the richest countries for minerals and rare earths. And it's not surprising that a lot of the great thinkers uh, began their careers, like Paul Hem and Swedenborg, worked in the mines. But he, of course, moves from that into the spiritual domain. He left the, the materialist basis uh, behind. And the uh, the afterwards the persistence of, of minerals for him and for crystals were in the division in the visions of the, the next world because in a lot of traditions including Judaism there, there's crystal cities in in the heavens there's there's cities made of precious stones this thing continues so these precious stones we have here are reflections are reminders of what happens in in, in the higher context in relation to Buddhism there is this uh, concentration on the clarity aspect and the clarity aspect is, is, is critical in, as far as I can see in relation to the uh, focus uh, on the crystal um, again for me uh, uh, I think it, it there's, there's something to become something we come to a different place I'm not saying it's wrong there's, there's very uh, wonderful insights that I would use but it doesn't, for me, explain or it doesn't uh, finally explain the content element because I don't think the content element will be ult ultimately this absolute clarity. I think I, there is a there is messages about clarity, but who we are and whether we will be this these kind of totally crystal clear beings, I'm not. I'm not so sure. I think there is something of pers personality and difference that will persist that or otherwise uh, heaven's not going to be a very interesting place for us <laughs> for the afterlife. well i guess there's a, a sense in which each of us is a flawed crystal yes and uh long live the flaws because out of the flaws out of the differences uh, there's another interesting connection as you said that uh we're of course we're dealing here with our liquid crystal faces and face is another word associated with uh, with, with crystals. And interface, I, I couldn't identify where it came from, but it, came, it seemed to have come from uh, the 1870s. I wonder whether it came from the uh, crystal context. I don't know. So the word interface that, that comes up in this context refers, of course, to uh, the human and, and, and computer context. It may have, have some association with faces in relation to uh, crystal forms and you could argue I mean I, I have argued that our consciousness is being crystallized our social interaction is being crystallized uh, we, we are being slowly uh, as we might visualize I don't know if it's in the Disney cartoon I watched it with the kids in the, uh, in the Snow Queen or whatever going back to Hans Christian Andersen uh, that as we see a kind of ice forming uh, as we see that coldness spreading this is what's happening to our consciousness when we project it outwards when we exteriorize our consciousness when we put our memories in a mobile phone and don't seek to memorize when we don't seek to build up our memory when we don't seek to build a memory palace like the magicians did in renaissance time when we don't do even what ted uh what the, what the pk man ted 
what, what's his surname? Uh, Owens, Ted Owens, yeah. What, what Ted Owens uh, did and, and build up his his memory as a protection, he thought it was important when you're dealing with other, other beings, as far as I remember from your book, which was in the tradition of, of the Renaissance magicians, that uh, what we, we have is an exteriorization. We are being turned inside out, and that is what this incoming crystallization into the body will do it will turn us inside out you have no secrets left we can look into your brain we can look into your soul jeffrey we can look inside of you you don't have to have the the catholic confessions in order to to, to find your uh, your deep dark secrets now we have technology that will do it, it will some way reveal our, 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 our deep dark secrets now this, I'm not saying that you have have them just for the record. But the the uh, this uh, this uh, is, is a kind of assault, and it's the the tentacles of the technosphere moving more and more into. So we voluntarily acquiesce by relinquishing control over functions that we we engage in by putting them into digital form into silicon form. And at some point, uh, we'll have to uh, resist that. And you used the word, uh, I, I had to to refer back to what we talked about when you asked me whether I was a rebel. And I, I explained that using the rebel in an Irish context, I don't want to be on the next li- the watch list uh, from Irish context. Irish rebels has a very particular meaning. But you're right in relation to the description as used by Alvin Toffler. Because Alvin Toff- Toffler anticipated that you would have the you know the people that love technology the gadget worshippers and you would have the people then that react against it and say no we don't want this we don't want anything got to do with it and then you would have what he called the techno rebels now he wasn't suggesting they were violent but he said that this was the main group in, in the third wave and they would make it they would come along he said they were they could be nuclear scientists there were people that understood technology and they came along they said okay this over-reliance on technology is too much and it's destructive and they would be the ones that would come like the salt in Jacob Burma in the middle and they would be the determinant factor because they understood the technology and they understood what would happen uh, if it became pervasive and they would be the driving force he saw in, in the 80s more and more people become thinking that way and some of your friends that you've done interviews with that that saw some of the dangers of uh, of of computing and saw the possibilities uh, of where it would go wrong were aware of that and you may have been referring to to some of them but he's right in that so so the people that will if there is to be a corrective in the in the middle path will be informed of technology will know they won't be against technology but they will want appropriate technology and and that he he described them as techno rebels in the future or future techno rebels and and that description uh, is a useful a, a useful one in relation to uh people who want to rebalance the 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 two things and part of that would be a rebalancing of a an overly crystallizing uh deadening cold and hardening uh, force based on removing the the warmth if you like of the free will of the mistaken individual who makes mistakes who changes like the prodigal son or does things that are not, they're not supposed to but learns and understands the value of things through uh, exploration 
Well, James Tunney, once again, a fascinating, multifaceted uh, structure, both crystalline in its clarity and uh, uh, multifaceted in, in, in its many dimensions. I'm sure it's going to give our viewers a lot of questions to think about. And I would encourage our viewers to ask themselves, you know, where might each of us in our own thinking have become a little over crystallized? I know I'm going to think about that. I, I, I'll even do that myself, Jeffrey, <laughs> if I can. Uh, I will, yeah. But on the last point, uh, in this, I, I was thinking about this a lot in particular relation to Goethe and a view which is very dominant. It's very dominant, actually, in, in, in relation to a reductionist approach to consciousness, a mathematical approach. Um, I can see it, for example, in relation to Douglas uh, Hoffman and in relation to his view that we're, you know, uh, relying on uh, on the optical effects and that uh, to, to say, oh well, we we can't perceive the world very much, and therefore we're mistaken about how we mis- perceive the world. We're very limited. Oh, oh Donald Hoffman. Sorry, Donald Hoffman. I keep saying Douglas Hoffman. Apologies for that. Apologies, Donald, if in case you're ever looking. Uh, and Donald Hoffman, yes, very interesting man. But in this view, it also accords. Uh, David Icke, I've heard uh, expressing this view as well. You know that our viewpoint is so limited that we don't see the rest of the world. I don't agree with both of their views. I believe that, uh, and this is for me a positive note, that in the narrow band of perception that we have that we are in that band that Goethe talked about, in the that rainbow band between light and darkness. We're in that. And in that, we're given all the clues we need to determine whatever future we want. All the crystallographers are reliant on perceptions, emotions, attractions, intuitions that were inherent, that were almost built into us, that were built into the environment through the whatever evolution, creation process happened. And the artists realized very, very quickly that we could find all the answers. The people that developed some of the mathematics in the Renaissance, uh, about uh, understood about vision, they realized that we had everything we needed by true observation, true looking at color, through looking at the spectrum, through understanding the emotional impact of colors, as Goethe talked about, to understand life, to understand the interrelationship with our relationship with plants, which are also very dependent on internal crystals in relation to photosynthesis, to look at those relationships. We have everything we need to uncover the secrets, to look in, to use light uh, to apply in our domain. So we're not blinded creatures in that. And in many senses, limitation is the basis of our success. So in that, we can find the beauty in ourselves and the beauty externally and and, and choose the path. It's in, it's in our, our hands. And I, I, I hear people and sometimes they think, they may think that I have that view, a dystopian view of the world. I don't have that view. I think this is an incredible incredible place we live in there's incredible beauty what the artists were trying to do was to identify and point to that beauty and what the spiritual leaders are are pointing to the beauty of ourselves and we also have to re-emphasize the beauty of the beauty of nature that we live in and not be obsessed with an unduly 
uh, and duly narrow a narrow view. So I think we should celebrate and look at the way that all when Newton said that he was on the shoulder of giants, when these guys are coming today in particular, they, they say, well, you know, you, you people uh, don't understand. You have narrow viewpoint. You can't you, you can't understand. That, and religion didn't give it to you. It was us scientists that gave you all the insight. It's just not true. There's a whole range of different ways of looking at the world that has brought us to the point. They don't accept responsibilities for negative effects. They want to, uh, as in Seinfeld, big salad us all with their their their, uh, their uh, and claim uh, and and claim that they have the unique view. Uh, and that's why spiritual approaches and the approach of parapsychology, openness to different ways of viewing the world and to understanding the unknown are very important to get the balance right. Thank you again, and I look forward to our future conversation. Thank you. Well, it's been a great pleasure as always, James. Thank you for being with me. And for those of you listening or watching, thank you for being with us. Thank you.